Legacy. Have you ever wondered what you're gonna leave behind once you're gone? You ever wondered where you fit in amidst your family or your business or your career? Today's guest, that's what we talk about, legacy. We talk about continuing to learn and continuing to work the problem. We talk about how bad decisions turn into great opportunities. Got an exciting guest today who's a third generation business owner and he's got a great story. Welcome to the Socks and Soul podcast. We're glad to have you. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Socks and Soul podcast. Uh, my guest today is uh, my good friend, Jason Hainsworth from the Hainsworth Laundry Company. I've known Jason for over 10 years. Uh, we do a number of things together. We water ski together um, and uh, we've known each other for quite a while. Jason uh, works in his family business. I'm excited to have this conversation with Jason because he he's going to bring a unique perspective to the family business story. Uh, he is uh, he is an entrepreneur at heart and uh, has a has a really great story about his family business and how he ended up in it and his in him and his role in it. Jason, thank you for joining us today. So tell us, um, why don't you start off and tell us just kind of the quick history of the Hainsworth Laundry Company and you know your dad's role and its founding and kind of where you guys have grown to today. So. In the early 60s, my dad took a job here in Spokane, um, and uh, he was working for Maytag. And he, at the time, wanted an opportunity for my grandfather. My grandfather was already at retirement age, but um, but he, he didn't really want to slow down. He needed a little bit of an income. So my dad found a route that was for sale. Um, I think it was called Spokane Washer was the original uh, owner of the route here. And and so they bought that route and my, my grandfather came and just something to do to run out of his garage. And so in, um, I think 1964 is when my grandfather moved here. He was already 67 years old and he was running the business essentially out of his very small one car garage and his kitchen table. So um, they would buy older machines, washing machines and dryers, and put these mark time meters, that are these, these kind of old type of coin meter, and they would, uh, most machines start for a dime. Um, so these are your, might be your coin-op machines yes. of old. So basically. it was essentially a regular machine, but, but it had this separate meter and it's the kind of thing where you stuck the quarter in and turned the crank. And, uh, and so, so it was just whatever he could buy fairly cheap, he'd put it in. And then he would make deals with, with the apartment owners to pay them a certain percentage of the, of the income. So he supplied the machines, contracted with these uh, apartment complexes, and then yes. paid them basically for the space. And, and so... I have some memories when I was young of my my grandparents in the evening counting coin and rolling coin on their kitchen table. My grandparents lived essentially kitty corner from from us. We lived up a kind of a long driveway up a hill, but you'd go down the driveway and you'd go across kitty corner and that was was my grandfather's house. Uh, I 
I don't even really remember it before we built the office behind his house, but before that, when I was younger, it didn't have an office built, but, but we did build an office and a shop, uh, at some point behind my, my grandfather's house. Um, and we also built a shop on our house. So it was basically a, a large two car garage and a, and a, a workbench area. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that was that was our operation. I think we rented some warehouse space, but but in the very early days, um, you know, my grandfather had been a salesman most of his life. Um, ran a, a place called Black Frost Appliance in Portland, Oregon, uh, before he moved here to Spokane. My dad grew up in Portland, and and it was just he'd been in the business a little bit. He liked to tinker around. He knew how to sell. Uh, he was always a bit of an inventor. My my grandfather claimed to to have invented a automatic transmission back in the twenties, um, but didn't have any money to get it patented or or marketed, um, and several other things. He invented a a an automatic vent cleaner in his eighties and was marketing that into his nineties. Um, I have a picture of him. He's probably eighty nine years old, and he's got. He's fully on top of a laundromat roof, demonstrating his uh, his, <laughs> his invention, his <laughs> venting invention. Yes, um, and so so that, so that, right that out of the gate, ran in the family. I mean, right, right out of the gate, you got this grandfather who's just got this legacy of you know just working till. I mean, at sixty seven, he starts this new business. Yeah, in fact, he my grandfather left home when he was sixteen. Uh, he was. Um, he was one of the, he homesteaded Twin Falls, Idaho on a horse plowing the first main street of Twin Falls, Idaho. <laughs> um, and, and there's things in his journal about, uh, you know, riding the, riding a team down into the Snake River Canyon. If you've ever been to Twin Falls, it's very steep. Um, and he was 14 years old. He's, he's leading a team of, of horses. And so it was interesting, um, you know, kind of seeing this true spirit of entrepreneurship of um, that was my grandfather, and and then my dad also. You know, he um, he eventually got too busy. My grandfather got too busy, and my dad started working, and and he, my dad was, it was frustrating for him. Um, He'd always been an excellent salesman, but they would shrink his territory and up his quota. Right. Yep. <laughs> and and he was he they wasn't, decided he was making too much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know. And he wasn't tall. And they always said that short people couldn't sell. Of course, that wasn't true, and he was an excellent salesperson. But he was always kind of up against it. And, you know, finally what happened is he had uh, a supervisor that kind of tra- tried to keep covering his rear end, and that that guy kind of made it sound like my dad was the problem, and so they they finally let my dad go, and um, a couple of years later they found out that it was this guy that was the one that was the issue, and but but it, rather than kind of starting another job, he decided to kind of. Uh, come into the business with my grandfather. There was a lot of opportunity. How old uh, was your dad at this time? He was already in his 
In his forties. So he's uh, already had a he's know, had experience. You he's know, he had a career yes. going. Yeah, and he'd uh, won a lot of awards for his sales. Um, what was he? What was he selling? What he industry? sold appliances. I mean, oh, he, he did. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So he worked for Westinghouse and Maytag, and he would sell the stores. So, so, and th- I presume this was kind of part of the fact that your grandfather was also kind of in the appliance business. Yeah, I think that's what probably career. got it into. Okay, you know. Uh, how he got into it. And so he brought, I mean, he brought industry knowledge into the family business with his dad. And my dad was a a very energetic and an excellent salesperson. He knew how to close a sale. Um, And it, it consumed his mind all of the time. You know, I think later in life, dad worked into his 80s until his health wouldn't allow it. But Later in life, he he just wanted to go and out and fix machines, and we would try to find out why he didn't want to go sell, because that was his talent. That's what he was really good at, and it turns out that fixing machines was a lot less taxing on him, even though it was physically taxing. He didn't it didn't make him stay awake at night. When he was selling, he was always laying awake at night. How do I get this deal? Or why did I lose this one? And and it just he he couldn't rest knowing that there was something undone and so um it's very interesting to 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 understand that mindset that that relentless kind of true 24/7 worrying about your business worrying about what you're going to do how you're going to make things work and and uh, even even though it he had gotten long past that point of knowing we were going to make it, he's still worried and he still, it still kept him up at night um, thinking about, you know, how can I do it better? What's the approach I should take? Am I missing something? So um, it's really an amazing legacy. Uh, Both my grandfather, who was in in his own right, a very, accomplished person who went from not having a high school education to um, having a very successful life uh, to my to my father who um, really I think of as very self-made um, in the sense that uh, you know he went out and grabbed the business nothing came to him he was in in my younger years he was on the road all the time and uh, I remember him getting in late, you know, and uh, especially when I was a teenager, there was always and and I would borrow his car to go to to go to school in the morning. Uh, I was lucky if there was any gas in it. He always drove it <laughs> right down to the right down to E. He knew how to time it. <laughs> and uh, and so that was my experience was somebody that was willing to put in the hours and do what it do what it takes to make things work. Never assumed it was going to come easily. Always put the, you know, shoulder to the grindstone as it were. And, uh, you know, and set the example for you and and your siblings on what it took, you know, to, uh, to run a business. Yeah. And I think what happens is that everybody has different strengths. Um, so I, my, my second brother, um, Lauren was, was interested in in kind of all of the physical aspect of the business of 
of the installations and and the equipment ordering and and figuring all that stuff out. And he got into the business. Um, he actually left college because he's like, I, I'm ready. I, I, I know what I want to do. He's an operations guy. Yeah. And he, and he, he basically became the guy that made sure that things flowed well. Sure. And, and so he's been doing that since full time since 1978. He's a couple years older than you. Yeah. He's a little bit, yeah, a little <laughs> bit older. Um, and, and he's, so he's got this amazing knowledge and understanding, but he's not the type that wants to go out and sell. Okay. Um, and, and, and so you have to kind of find your spot and know what it is that you need to do. And, and as I came into the business, um, my my uncle was retiring. He was a partner. Um, he had kind of run the financial side, and that was my my role to kind of come in and and do that and help in some of the sales. And I found that what I enjoyed after I got my feet wet is is kind of just understanding what it took to to run the whole business. Because because growing up. You know, you worked in the business as a youngster doing kind of some of the, you know, more of the grunt work, if you will, the sure. moving stuff around, counting coins. Yes. And, uh, and so you, but you had kind of decided early on that maybe this wasn't, wasn't the direction you were going to go. And yeah. you, you had kind of decided later, right, that you would kind of join yeah, I mean, I the think business. like most teenagers, you want to leave town. You know, it, it just doesn't seem that interesting or exciting to be to be in your hometown. And so you want to leave, you want to go somewhere else. You want to do something else. Um, and you didn't want to sell washing machines the rest yeah, of your life. And, and it, it just I mean, didn't sound that glorious. So like, I think what, <laughs> what that was, was that, you know, we just have this need to, to define our own way. Um, but what I, what I found was I had a little bit of, of my dad in me where I didn't really particularly want to work for other people. And, and I knew that, that ultimately if you could do your own thing, it was the best way. Um, it's not easy. Um, and I think really it took, it took a number of years really working in the business to realize how difficult it is. You don't always see that right away. You, you inherit a bit of stability that, that, that my father and grandfather didn't have. But by the time I was around, I had. And so you, you have to kind of come to an understanding of what it took to get there. And that took me some time. I would say that, you know, right away, I probably took things for granted. I didn't, I, I just thought, hey, things kind of run themselves. We just, you know, do this and that and everything will be great. Did you... Growing up, did you sense the volatility of of the small business? You know, yeah. I mean, I you saw that. that from your dad's perspective. Yes. So you did sense that, but then when you came back to the business, it felt more stable. Yeah, I think like so. Like it would be things like my mom would say, "Well, Dad says that I I can't, you know, buy anything this week," you know, <laughs> and it. I didn't understand cash flow at the time. <laughs> I don't think teenagers uh, yeah, ever know, do. Right. So, <laughs> so it was interesting to, to kind of understand that usually that just meant there's a lot of expenses. We got to wait, wait a few minutes for the 
the cash to come in. So we have a little bit uh, to, to bank on. And I just think, um, you know, we it, it was running well when I got here. It, things were working fine. But but after a while, what I saw was we were kind of running a cash cow. And that sounds like a great thing. You know, something that just is producing money. Right. We created and you, this you, thing you and just it's go the milk golden it, goose. Right? Yep. Just keep um, rolling. But, but there really is a truth that, that if you're not growing, you die. There's a, there's kind of that, that's a saying in, in business. And it doesn't always have to be revenue growth, but, but if you're not changing, adapting, growing in some way, you can't survive. Um, because everything gets more expensive. Uh, The machines we buy are more expensive. The labor that we pay is more expensive. Um, The the rules keep changing. The rules change. Mm -hmm. The environment that we're in demands that you have to adapt or or you're going to get swept up. In our industry, a lot of the other companies went to what I would say you know, the sellout. And, and because a lot of them were, were owned by a single person, they got to retirement age, they cashed out Mm -hmm. and they sold to a larger company and and it was consolidating, consolidating, consolidating. And all of a sudden now you have really well-funded large companies that you're competing against instead of just one or two kind of other local guys. It changes the game dramatically when the guy that you're competing with has seemingly unlimited capital. Yeah. And then, it's not just that it's, it's resources. Yeah. You know, the, the quality of, of their presentations of their website, which wasn't really an issue back then, but now is of course, um, what it looks like to people, how professionally they look. And so we, we had to go about a process of essentially professionalizing in our business just to be able to compete. And I think what, what I found was to be able to survive from the the third into the fourth and fit maybe fifth generation, what was required was a lot more deliberate action. So I couldn't just kind of wing it anymore and kind of go on my gut and on my experience. Um, I've learned that, that you have to be constantly learning and getting help on figuring out things that, that you didn't understand before. And there's things that you learn maybe in, in business school, but that's been a while. And it really wasn't something you really internalized when you're 22. And so really saying, hey, I, I've got to keep improving. I basically have to go back to school. And it's not really a, a formal thing, but you're learning all of the time how to improve. You know, I, I became about three years ago, I joined Vistage, which is a a network of small business CEOs and executives um, that we get together once a month and we work on the business rather than, than in it. And we talk about very freely our challenges and the difficulties we have. And we learn from great, great resources, speakers. And, and we have a, a chair that helps us to, to know that we're, you know, they, they provide coaching and they, they give us advice and help when we ask for it. And then there's accountability. Uh, we have to show what we're doing to to improve and and make 
progress in our business. And so that's been an eye opener for me. And I, I remember feeling like I was drinking from the fire hose at first. And now I feel like I can take things in, get the help I need to implement and, and we're making really great progress in, in becoming a, a better company, a more professional, um, something that can that could stand up to scrutiny um, and not just rely on really great people. You know, we've we've always relied on relied on really good people, but when you grow, the you can't do that the same way. You have to learn how to train and how to use the resources of the people you have. So. Um, yeah, that, that's been kind of a journey from, hey, I'm taking, you know, I get to come and do this fun thing and and I get to, you know, be here closer to my family um, and, and be part of this to, hey, man, this is a big responsibility. And if I don't step up and learn and improve and understand what needs to be done, this could go extinct. You got, you know, you. It's an interesting it's an interesting dynamic to compare, you know, what your grandfather did where it was just, you know, the quintessential me and my garage and my kitchen table providing for my wife and my children and and then and then it passes to the next generation and then by the time you, you know, are in the driver's seat, not not only do you have a bunch of your family invested in it, but now you guys have a quite a few employees whose families are invested in it. And the, you know, to you know, to come in, it's, it's different than if you were just an outside hire where you're not related to these people or, or these people didn't work with you and your family. I mean, it's an interesting thing in a family business because employees aren't just employees. You know, it's like they, they become kind of part of this community that you have built. And so your responsibility on that is, is heavy. And I would say too, that part of that is that our name is in the company and you know, (laughs) there's times where I wish it weren't so, Uh um, you know, it's not real original or anything else, but what it does is it, it's a reminder to you that when, when you have people working for you, they, they're taking your name around and they also get to become a bit of a family. Mm. Uh, Our longtime people, when they go through hard things or uh, when they have their triumphs and, and everything that happens in their lives, we get to be a part of that. And um, because they're important to us, you know, we, it's different than a policy. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's what's the right thing to do for this person and, and how much do they mean to us? And oftentimes we, we look to be creative so that, we can make sure that our people can continue to be part of what we do. Um, but also at the, the same point you're growing and you have to realize that people aren't going to stay forever and you can't just hope that they get enough knowledge by being around. So you have to do things like train and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and write things down and come up with procedures. And uh, there, there's a whole list of things that a lot of businesses don't end up doing. They just kind of count on the fact that two or three people really know what's going on. And if those people are pulled out or removed for a time, things just crumble. Mm -hmm. And we just, I've come to the conclusion that you can't, you can't live like that. You've got to delegate. You have to elevate. 
you have to find places that people are going to contribute and how they're going to grow. If they're not finding growth, they'll move on. Your best people will, will move on. And so how do they grow as part of their employment? And how do you train people that might even leave you? You know, I, I think um, of great college basketball programs and I think, okay, what made them good? Well, they started developing so much talent that they were leaving early and leaving for the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think, well, that's bad because here they're, they're putting all this effort into recruiting a player and he leaves after two years or one year. But then what you learn when you develop people is that that's a place people want to come. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to have opportunities, even if people leave, to to make sure that you're always getting good people. And that's that's the philosophy I've taken. You take care of your veterans that want to be there, that love it, and you train your new people so that they either want to stay or if they go somewhere else, they have nothing but good things to report and it becomes a place where people want to be. So so that's that's been part of my development and really understanding, you know, instead of a, a scarcity mentality around people is a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. We need a growth mindset in our company, a growth mindset around our people. And if we do that, then uh, it'll be a place people want to be. What would you say are some, were some of the big, I mean, that, that's a, that's a really important shift. And I, you know, you, you look at family businesses and you don't always have a very smooth transition generation to generation, um, you know, and, or you have siblings that are fighting over things. And so, you know, they end up selling or buying each other out or going away for, for you. When you talk about, you know, taking this, this cash cow and turning it into legacy and looking long-term, what, what were, what were the experiences or what were the moments when, when you kind of learned these lessons that have brought you to this point? I think just there's something, you know, I, I, uh, just recently, I guess it's been three years now. Uh, my brother got sick and, and died of cancer and he was really at the time, the only sibling that wasn't working in the business. How many siblings do you have? Uh, so there, I have six siblings and, but he was a shareholder. We're all shareholders. And, and when I saw what that looked like in the transition and it was just kind of this poof and, and it was gone. There was a, there was a buyout, but, but everything just got absorbed and, and it seemed just so small, I guess. And when you say small, you mean compared to, you know, like it's this, it's this thing that's been built. And then, you know, in a few months of, of kind of sorting out the numbers and everything, there's this buyout. It's his, his wife got, got some money, but then it's all gone, you know? And, and I think what I, what I saw from that was, is that things are temporary you've got a plan for what it's going to look like when you're not around and, and you've got to say, what is this going to look like if that happens to somebody else? That's a key and integral part of the business. Um, 
what if what if something happens to one of our key people that has this great store of knowledge, but they haven't really shared it? They've never written it down. They don't have a procedure. They just kind of know what they're doing. And I, I feel like I started to really understand that you you can't just assume everything's going to stay the same. This is where you're talking about delegating and elevating and the importance of, you know, I mean, you you run the whole company out of your head. Well, what if something happens to your head? How many people no longer have the job they used to have because of that? Yeah, and the ins- institution of knowledge that oftentimes just resides in, in one person's head in small business, I think it's a, it's a real issue. Um, you know, it, it's going great, it's going great, and then something happens to one key person, and all of a sudden you're unable to function. Uh, you haven't taught people the thinking that's required to do the job. They have a function that, they, that they're performing, but they don't know why, and they don't know kind of what goes behind it. And I think that 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 can that happens so often. People are technicians that essentially start a business. They say, "Well, I'm a plumber. I'm a good plumber. I've been working for somebody else. I want to start my plumbing business." But what, what they don't realize is there's so many other things that go into it. And so you've got to be able to understand all of the parts of what make your business work. You know, if you've got somebody that's doing the books. And it's like they've been the same person that's always done the books and they go somewhere else and you've never written any of it down. You don't all of a sudden you're, you might be out of business, yeah. even though you're still doing your plumbing or doing what it is that you do and know how to do. You, you can't function anymore. Um, and so that's the thing that I think so many small businesses go wrong Um is that they they rely too much on somebody what's in somebody's head and and you know and in a family thing it could be even worse i think oh absolutely man but just really interesting things to have to think about you know and as you came back into the business making these realizations as you went along the the thing that strikes me jason is it, it seems like it could have been really easy for you to just come back in the business just keep doing what dad and grandpa did and, uh, you know, and kind of, you know, kind of continue to milk it. And, uh, and it, and it, you know, it would have changed a lot in terms of, you know, the, the economy and, and the businesses, you know, that are doing that are going to, could have progressed and you guys could have just kind of stayed doing the same thing. Um, but, but you, you and your family took this conscious approach to, you know, modernized, you rebranded, you know getting these systems in places and uh, how, you know, as you look forward in the future and think about the legacy that you're leaving behind, you know, how do you feel about where the components are and doing that now? You know, I think like that it's a, we're putting the systems into place to be able to keep going down the road. And it's things like having key performance indicators that you very much understand and you track. It's having a really good understanding of your books and what what's your position, what's your cash position, what's your debt position, what's your strength, what's your margin? You know, what what kind of margin are you making? Is it sustainable? Um, how are you 
basically looking at the future as far as succession. Do you have a plan in place that will allow somebody to retire? Or what happens if somebody passes away or becomes incapacitated? And so what I feel like is that we're on the road. We've got a lot to do, but we're now having these conversations and, and that that's the that's the progress. There's accountability, the conversations have started. There's a place where we have to come to and say, did it happen or not? Okay, if it didn't, where do we where do we go next? And and so you're never really at a finished product. You're you're always just learning and and part of it is what is it that you have to learn that you didn't need to learn five years ago, but now you do. You know, what is the you know, I think of here in, in the state of Washington, our minimum wage is is gone way up. Mm-hmm. And so it's driven our employment costs through the roof. And we've we've expanded where now at least half of our operation is in the Seattle area where it's very expensive to live. The the wages are, are very inflated um, and, and they need to be for people to live. And so the calculus really changes what, what used to be a deal you could make back in, in Spokane 15 years ago mm. is now going to lose you money. Right. And so if you don't have a, a, a good grasp of those things, you can you can go out of business. Sure. You know, you just, and it's just, you know, one deal at a time, it's slow, it's death by a, a thousand cuts. But you if you're not really on top of it and understanding what your business is, it it's it's a it's a thin line. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's if I if I had a message for people that maybe are considering going into business for themselves or are you know, thinking that these these people that own businesses have got it great. You know, they're they're just uh, you know living fat and happy. I think what what I would say is that the the line is thin, and we've seen it during this pandemic of places that that have thrived for years and been great businesses for decades. Yes, and yep. they're they're going out of business because. The line is thin. Yeah, and and I six weeks of shutdown. Yes, and so so that's been a real eye opener for me. So, last two questions I would ask you: What would you say has been your biggest failure in your business, your part of it, and what would you say has been your best success in your business? And uh, and and what what lesson? You know, what lesson would you share with our listeners from those two experiences? Well, I'd like to maybe tie those things together. So a number of years ago, it was about 10 or 11 years ago now, probably 11. Um, we, we got into a business that was ancillary. It was kind of a vertical integration, mm-hmm. um, but not one that we needed. And, and it was, we bought a, 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 a distributorship, a Maytag distributorship in Seattle. And I think we underestimated the cost of doing business there and overestimated the market. 
underestimated the competition. We didn't, we're not really in that business. And um, we just thought that it could, it would just be something we could buy and, and it would work great. And what we found was it just, it never made any sense. We, we were losing money. We were losing money and, and we, we were operating on, and I, I just, we didn't have a way to know how we were going to start making money on this. It was a bit of a sunk cost. There was really nothing we could do about it, but we wanted to figure something out. And what was interesting was um, this led to um, some discussions. We, we, we had never really competed in Puget Sound region for in our business, the, the route business, because there was a, a lot of competition, well-established. But when, when we got over there in this other business, uh, which was basically selling laundry equipment to, to laundromats and other people. Uh, so so we, we were essentially a buyer mm-hmm. from that type of business. Mm-hmm. So what we found was our business over there was being underserved. There had been a, a large consolidation and and the the national competitors had bought up everybody that had created previously this really great robust competition in the in the region and people thought there were really no other options and so as we looked to kind of figure out what to do with this thing that we'd bought this albatross <laughs> um we we were introduced to someone that had uh, been a salesman for his family business that had been purchased out about 10 years previously and and he had signed a non-compete and he was kind of staying in the arena but he was working in carpet and and so one of our customers that we'd worked with over here who was headquarters over there gave a name we started talking and realized you know here's a guy we could hire he's got a lot of contacts and he knows this market. Maybe we ought to get in to our business in this new area. We had probably 15 or 20 accounts there, which is a really small number. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very small, like, one-day route. Uh, it would be, you know, I mean, for us, which would be a very, very small number of, of machines. And so we had a little bit of a start, but we just started kind of building that business over there. My, my nephew joined us um, and he had a lot of acumen in, in running things. Uh, we had somebody that knew how to sell in that region. And so I think what's happened is we took this, this failure and built something. Um, and now that the Seattle region uh, accounts for more than half of our revenue, um, and ever, ever more every, every year. Um, it's a growth area for us. We went, um, from, oh, probably a few hundred machines to, to about 9,000 machines in that region in 10 years. Wow. Um, we've, almost tripled our our gross in in income uh, since 2010 um it hasn't been 
easy, <laughs> but but what's happened is it gave us the growth we needed to become and the space that we've needed to become more professional. So when we were not operating in that market, we could kind of we could kind of do it the way we'd done and we were okay. There wasn't a lot of opportunity for growth, but we didn't have to do much either. And so so by by taking all this on, doing all this extra work, it has led us to have to become better. And so even though it's been a very difficult process and expensive and you know, the kind of thing that makes you pull your hair out sometimes, it has really helped us to grow and I think become that much stronger. And I've just been really grateful for a little bit of an accidental opportunity. Um, I think that that happens in life. Sometimes you, you do things, you think it's going to work out. And oftentimes you have to kind of turn, turn the coin over and see what's on the other side to see the real opportunity. So, yeah, I think in this case, I think our, our, you know, biggest failure essentially from a decision-making standpoint actually has, has led us to really our greatest opportunity. That's such a, it's such a great lesson. And it's, it, it, as you were, as you were talking about, you know, taking that, you know, that decision to buy that company and turning into something that has become a, a great asset to your business. It, it just reminds me of, you know, in life, you know, starting and doing, you know, so much of entrepreneurism success is, is, is doing, you know, is going and just making it happen, finding out a way to make it work. And, you know, when you, when you take a problem, you know, or an issue or a scenario, be it in business or with your family or whatever, and, and, and you don't think about failure being an option to that, you just work the problem. And it sounds like that's what you guys did. You just took this thing and, you know, you, you, you thought there was opportunity there. Maybe it wasn't exactly what you had envisioned because that's not really the business you're in, but you just worked it until you found the solution to it. Yes. I think inaction is, is essentially our greatest enemy. Oh man. That's a great line. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, but, but on the other hand, uh, good decision-making is something you can measure and it's something I've really learned. I think at the time, well, I'm sure of it actually, that I was going on gut. I was thinking, Hey, this might be something that might be work. I had no I had no numbers. I had no idea really what it meant. And, and for, for real success, that's going to last, you, you need to know your numbers. Um, and, and it, like I say, we probably maybe could have gotten to the same conclusion that we came to a different way that was maybe less expensive and, and where we hadn't, you know, felt like we made a poor decision and that would have been better, but you make decisions and then you've got to do something. And I think, um, you know, the, the lesson I've learned is make a decision and then do it. But better yet, know why you're doing it. Understand what you have to gain, what you have to lose. And then and and then go and make it happen. And it's a it's always a fine line, right? It's like, you know, one of the things that I struggle with is I tend to overanalyze everything. And so I get caught up in the inaction part of it because I'm like, I got to know everything about it completely before I can even 
take a step into doing it. And, and, and in that process, sometimes I, 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 you know, I put myself in a position where I get nothing done, where, where Annie's the opposite. She, she's like, that looks good. I'm just going to go get started on it. And, uh, and so I think you, you need know, figuring out that balance is yeah, important. I think you like, like what I've found is that you have to have somebody who's the big thinker and somebody that's the, the doer. Yeah. Um, and if you're both of those people, that's great. But, you know, I'm more of a big picture thinker. And then, you know, especially my nephew, Nathan, who's a big part of our business, he is a, he is a doer. He just jumps in and it's like, okay, that was done. You know, it's this afternoon, <laughs> you know, it's going to take me six months and he's You're done like, it this I afternoon. Th- I think we should, uh, and he's like, all right, get it's something. done. <laughs> and so, so if you can, you need to surround yourself. If you're, I think most people that become entrepreneurs are actually big picture thinkers. They're, they're, um, they're idealists. They're people that are, are thinking about the, the top of the mountain, you know, and they've got this path, but they haven't really, uh, you know, they're not always the ones that are staking out the next steps. Right. You they're know, they're not grading they the road to get there. No, no they're they just, just saying that's, just, where, that's we're where I'm going. Yeah. And, and so if you're, and if you're the other type, I think you got to find somebody that can, can give you vision. So, you know, my, the thing I've learned is you, you need to, you need a visionary to kind of show the big picture and to, and to come up with big ideas and, and Hey, we, we need to think about this differently and we could try this different thing. And then you need somebody that will say, eh, that's, let's, let's talk about real here. Mm-hmm. And as part of that, be ready to make the steps and, and to push it push it forward. And so we've been really fortunate to have that great combination. And I think that that is for anybody that's thinking of getting started, think about that. You know, who is going to drive it forward? Who's going to see where it needs to go? Um, And it doesn't have to be somebody necessarily actively working in the business. It could be a spouse or somebody that they can say, Hey, you know what, you, you might want to think about this or somebody that, a little bit of check and balance so that that you don't just start walking without a path and or that you have this great idea but you can't figure out how to get there so um i think that might be the biggest lesson i've learned is getting that getting people that can help you i think that the thing i've found is that there's always people willing to help if you're willing to make relationships you're open with people you will get all the help you'll ever need because people love to see other people succeeding and they have resources that the the resources are endless um we just need to know where to access them and a lot of that is energy it's ideas it's sometimes it's capital um but but those things are available to people and i just think that if you're if you've got enough energy and ideas if you've got uh, a plan, you can make it happen. You can make it happen. So uh, I've been wisdom and uh, many advisors. Yeah, it, there is, <laughs> there is, and I mean, ultimately, you make your own decision. Sure. But knowing where you're weak and being willing to 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 get some really good advice and get people that are uh, willing to tell you the truth, mm-hmm. man, it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Some honest advisors. Yes. Don't tell me what I want to hear. 
Tell me what I need to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I want you to tell one more story. Um, uh, it was either you or maybe your brother. Somebody once told me the story when you, when your dad and grandpa used to come with bags of coins and, uh, and, and I'm botching the story for sure. So you have to straighten me out, but they would place that they would drop the coins on the table and they could hear if there was a certain kind of coin in there, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Because you guys would, I mean, you guys would go clean, killing out these laundry machines and have bags of coins, right? Yeah. So, so um, essentially, uh, we, especially in the early days and even, I mean, we still do a lot of it now, but we, we process a lot of coin. Um, luckily, we've gone to other methods that are cleaner and cheaper and... <laughs> less uh, heavy. Yeah, less heavy. <laughs> but... Um, so we process a, a lot of coins where, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, taking somewhere anywhere between um, twenty-five to sixty thousand dollars worth of quarters to the bank, um, and they're you know it's thousand uh, dollars is is fifty pounds. So <laughs> so fifty pounds a bag. You just do the math. It's heavy, and and we process a lot of coins, but um, and and you have these big noisy machines that you, you dump the coins and everything. Dump them in, they count, they roll them, whatever. So when, when you're dumping into this loud machine, there's a distinctive sound. Quarters make a distinctive sound. Uh, And silver quarters have a, a kind of a ting sound to them. And it's amazing that what can happen is as you're, as you're dumping a bag, you can hear a single quarter in a bag of maybe seven hundred dollars, and and you can hear it in there, and 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 you'll stop everything and dig through and find it because that silver quarter is worth a lot more than a quarter, and uh, and then you just toss in a, your own quarter uh, off of your own pile. Every once in a while, um, a, a little uh, somebody gets a hold of their grandma's silver quarter collection, and they'll they'll do they'll use several of them in in machines which is and those are worth how much i don't even know it's always been you know multiple values of of whatever they're worth sure. so so pre-1965 uh quarters were made uh, of silver mm. and now it's an alloy uh in 64 there's a, a bit of a mix and then before that it's i think it's like full silver so um yeah, pretty much anyone who's ever counted coin um, has a a personal silver quarter collection. I was going to say you guys probably have all like very unique, you know, coins and quarters and yeah, yeah, and then, you know, like when they started coming out with the state quarters and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you it wouldn't take very long to to get the whole the whole group. <laughs> you got a bag of a thousand quarters. Yeah, you got, yeah exactly. You got, you got lots of subjects to choose from. Yeah. And it's interesting. <laughs> um, now in our, in our Seattle facility, we actually, um, we pour quarters into bags that are attached to a pallet and we'll put $50,000 worth of quarters in a pallet. And, um, they'll pick up to three of those pallets up at once. So you just you can imagine, uh, uh, you know, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of quarters rolling out the door. Um, it, it's a it's a crazy it's From a crazy a volume thing. standpoint. I mean, that, that's a full pallet's worth. Yeah, of, I mean, what, you 50, think about 000. it, it's like I don't know whatever 
you know, like a standard pallet size is sure. maybe two and a half feet high. You know, it's like a yeah. kind of probably about a two and a half foot square. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's amazing. So it's like it's like Scrooge McDuck's money band yeah, rolling yeah, out the exactly, door. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and, 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 and it turns out, can it, you swim in quarters? Uh, probably. <laughs> yeah, that, it, it's it's a little grimy, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're very, very Not dirty. Not recommended during the COVID days, no, especially. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, it's very dirty. We we prefer a much cleaner form uh, of of cash nowadays, which you know we've gone to to more electronic payments and sure. trying to get people to pay with their phones. Sure. Now. Yeah. But but it's interesting. You, you you know our industry was called essentially coin op, and and uh, we've had to kind of rename that. You know, self serve mm-hmm. laundry. I think is is more more appropriate. But yeah. Anyway, we were very fortunate. Uh, I, I would say, you know, just, you know, it's a business that's provided for, for a lot of families. Um, and we've been just incredibly blessed and, and, uh, you know, I think of always those people that built that, um, you know, when you remember where you come from, it's a lot easier to get a path forward. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Jason, thank you so much for joining me. You are a wealth of great information. I've always really enjoyed talking business and business strategy with you. I find your your company that you and your family have built to just be really, really fascinating. Um, you know, you wouldn't think that the coin op laundry business would be that interesting, but I find that that your insights and business and strategy and and, and your your willingness to continue to learn and progress and not stand still think they are just i think they're really really important things for for me to learn and for our listeners to learn just keep learning like your grandpa did when he started the business after he'd basically finished a career until the he worked until the day he died innovating and and uh you know and and creating and inventing yeah and i and again i think that you know we you know we all have to learn you know, we have to keep learning. We have to keep growing. Uh, you know, business is interesting. I just love it. Yeah. Like, I just love, you know, for me, I don't care what kind of business it is. I love talking business. It's it's so interesting. I think no matter what industry you're in, it could be garbage. It could be high <laughs> tech. There's stuff that's interesting about it. And, and um, I love, you know, hearing about other people's uh, ventures because w- w- what you learn is business is business. There's some things that doesn't matter what industry you're in, you're going to have to deal with it. So uh, I appreciate being able to talk about my own experience. I know it's just kind of a micro thing, but hopefully it's something that somebody else can learn from. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been, uh, it's been great talking to you. I hope you've all enjoyed this episode. Thanks again to Jason. If you want to learn more about their company and their company profile you could probably check out your website hainsworthlaundry.com hainsworthlaundry.com awesome and uh and you can reach out to jason if you want to if you want to learn more about him and what he's done and how he's grown the business i'm sure he would be interested you can leave a comment below or, or reach out to him through the website thank jason you. take care man thank you very much thanks Kelly. for having appreciate us appreciate it you bet <laughs>